Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you so much for listening. Um, obviously, it has been a while, as always. Um, yeah, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say sorry and move on. Um, uh, you guys have plenty of other things to listen to. I'm sure you're not uh, sitting by your uh, zooms and wondering when is uh, Tyler gonna do uh, do another episode. Um, yeah, just uh, life is busy and fatherhood is a full-time job as it turns out um so yeah i haven't gotten uh, the chance to do this as often as i would like and in the meantime i will say that uh to the degree that more than one lesson.com is uh putting out anything new at all it is our writer bob Connolly that has really uh <laughs> picked up the torch and is running with it so uh head on over to more than one lesson.com and check out his his written reviews um he's really been uh, contributing quite a bit to the site and i really do appreciate it um as for the podcast itself uh we're here now so let's go ahead and talk about dan scanlon's onward this is a film that i really love um, it was it's a 2020 film and it was actually one of the last films that I got to go to a critic screening for before uh, the lockdown and, and all of that and uh, you can read my written review over at battleshippretension.com and you know what's what's interesting is that so it's a it's a Pixar film and it happened to come out the same year as soul and people really liked soul and it that's the it's the movie that dominated like all the awards and people were just talking about it i saw soul and i thought it was fine i thought occasionally it was it was very good uh funny and all that but i thought that it was kind of covering ground that we had already covered in something like inside out and it just from a from a narrative and emotional and thematic beats i just feel like we'd been there before um i did appreciate its its celebration of music but uh and the music itself it's it's a perfectly fine movie and but it is a shame that it eclipsed onward um possibly because onward came out earlier in the year um which maybe suggests that the studio didn't really have a lot of faith in the film itself which again i think is a shame i don't know if you've seen onward it is just i think it's a visually beautiful movie I really love the characters and characterizations. I think the the set pieces and action sequences are just a lot of fun, and and I I really love where it arrives thematically. Um, I knew going in <laughs> that it was going to be there. There are going to be some 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 dad things going on. Uh, I went with my wife and it is about these two brothers who've lost their father and then they get the opportunity to bring him back for one day. 
And I was like, oh boy, all right, here we go. And uh, she went with me because she saw it coming too. And uh, sure enough, that I did have the reaction of, of oh, you know, uh, being able to relate to this kid who just wants to spend more time with his father and all that. Like, but to the film's credit, that's not actually what it's about. And in fact, the way that the film unfolds and where it ends actually undercuts that a little bit. Not to suggest that the, that the feeling or the yearning uh, on the part of the characters or audience members, not to suggest that it is not legitimate. I think it is a film that's very sympathetic towards people that have lost someone and, and are yearning for a certain relationship or whatever it is. Um, I think it's very sympathetic. But I think it's it's it also has this other point to make, and it does so in a way that I think is completely organic, and it's the kind of thing that you slowly begin to realize over the course of the film. You're really, it's a I, a moment ago I talked about the film wanting to be sympathetic and and empathetic, and I think it is remarkably empathetic with its main character because you are realizing things around the same time that he does, and then when he finally comes to the conclusion, which I'll talk about in a moment, when he finally comes to the conclusion, um, you have gotten there, maybe a little bit before him, but not not much. Uh, you know, that's something, certainly movies that, that have like some kind of twist or something like that. Uh, if we get there first and then the movie says, oh my gosh, have we blown your mind? And you think, no, you haven't. But also there are movies that, uh, that from a relational standpoint or from a thematic standpoint, you know what it's going to say long before it finally says it. And then when it finally does say, you're like, yeah, I, I knew this already, uh, catch up. And I feel like as audience members, we're just, we're maybe a little bit less, uh, less inclined to, to like that movie. If we feel like it's, it's going too slow or taking too long to arrive at a certain place, because I think maybe in that moment we feel talked down to. And given that Onward is an animated film from Pixar, you know, it's it's a family-friendly movie, and that is something you will sometimes find in family-friendly movies, is in order to make sure that the kids can keep up, it'll slow things down, and then as an as an adult, you, see, you understand what it's doing, and you might even like what it's doing and how it's doing it, but you also might feel like it doesn't really have anything for you because, because you arrived there earlier. And when you arrive there earlier, you you might think that, well, this is a conclusion I've come to on my own, even if you came to it as a function of the film, you might mistake the film's revelation for your own revelation. So uh, that is the danger of, of a film taking too long to get to a place thematically, and I don't think Onward does. Um, it really, boy, it really surprised me um, on so many levels, but um, the story involves this fantasy world that is a mirror of our modern world so that it is a, a world with elves and centaurs and uh and all these mystical creatures but uh, as they say in the in the beginning the the convenience of modern technology has actually uh, overwhelmed the the wonder of magic and so people even beings that can fly don't fly uh instead they just take airplanes or something like that and uh 
the you know wizards and and various beings that can create light it's like yeah okay that's all well and good but we made this light bulb over here and it's actually kind of an amusing opening sequence but it also sort of lays the groundwork for where we are which is a place where wonder and science or technology um, are kind of at odds with each other and technology is definitely winning it's a it's a really interesting subplot and i will be honest it's one that i feel like maybe doesn't totally pay off um, which is something that sometimes happens with pixar movies especially is they're they're trying to explore multiple things within one story and there's a primary thematic exploration and then there's the secondary and the secondary will sometimes get a little bit of uh, the the short shrift um but i'm still happy that it does explore it and uh, perhaps watching the film again or or uh, you know maybe uh, maybe again um after that Maybe it'll start to kind of come together like, oh, I see where this connects with that. Or maybe it is just its own thing and it's an interesting byproduct because as our main character, he and his brother go on uh, a quest, essentially. And I'll talk about the quest in a moment. But um, they go on this quest and as they go, they have people pursuing them. Um, and those people over the course of of the film, they come to really embrace their own magical and mystical natures it's just the effect of this quest um you kind of get the impression that maybe people in this world used to go on quests a lot but now they don't anymore and so now the idea that that somebody is uh is starting to affect the rest of the world um but yeah it's as i said it's a fun subplot and i really like that it, it it maybe one of the reasons that I like it is because it allows these side characters to deepen just a little bit. Um, and that's something that I really enjoy, but the main story involves, uh, this, this kid named Ian who is voiced by Tom Holland and his brother, uh, voiced by Chris Pratt. So it's a, it's a Marvel reunion. Um, their father, uh, died many years ago and Ian I think never really knew him whereas Barley the older brother play uh, again voiced by Chris Pratt he he knew him a little bit and had and didn't get a chance to work out some issues that he had with with his father before his father died so they happen upon this magical staff and and if they and this magical jewel and if they're able to um fully utilize it then their father will come back for one day and they will be able to talk with him and hang out with him and all of that and so they they try that but in fact only his lower half uh shows up and it it leads to a lot of great physical comedy um but the only way to get the the full (laughs) is his full body which is to say you know his uh brain and his head um so that they can talk with him they need to get a new jewel which is located far away and they need to do it within 24 hours so they can have their their moment with their dad and so they go on this quest to find this jewel and along the way their dad's lower half is with them and ian who's actually a pretty uh sort of a bashful kid 
um, and fairly timid. Uh, he doesn't necessarily love the idea of this quest, whereas Barley is he's an interesting character because he's a mixture of all these different things. Um, he is kind of a punk rock type guy, but he also really loves like Dungeons and Dragons. And, uh, it's, it's an interesting blend. And I do think that the way the character is written, and I think the way he's played by Chris Pratt really brings all of these elements together. And he's a character that is obnoxious a lot of the time, but he is also, uh, endearing. Um, the companion film for this is not Orange County, but if you if you watch Orange County and you see the relationship between Colin Hanks and uh, Jack Black, it kind of it, it's kind of like that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually um, inspired by that a little bit. Um, but Barley is all hey, he's all for this quest, and so over the over the course of of their time together, uh, they Ian and Barley like argue about the best course of action. One is more instinctive and the other's more logical. Um, and then they start to bond with each other until finally they do get the opportunity to, uh, to bring their father back, but really just for a moment. Uh, it's almost at the end of the 24 hours. And so they bring him back, but it's, it's, I don't remember the specifics, but I think they have to fight a big monster and all that. And essentially Ian is not able to talk with his father. Instead, Barley gets the moment um, and Ian can only see it from far away. And, and we, and we, Ian is our main character. So we don't see what Barley says to his father, what his father says back. Um, we can only surmise uh, what they've talked about based on what Barley has said previously. And it is a moment that would seem to be heartbreaking for Ian because he's been looking forward to this. Uh, first off, he didn't know it was an option. He just thought his father was just long gone. And then suddenly he has the opportunity to talk to his father again. And, uh, and it doesn't happen. And it's, it's, it's very, it, the fact of it is sad. And it's something that the film and the character mourns. But what's interesting is that throughout the film, Ian refers to this list of the things he wants to do with his father. And as you know, as as more time goes by and and we're getting and you're getting close to the 24 hour mark, he starts crossing things off and realizing, well, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. But one thing that he realizes, and we realize along the way, is that this thing he's wanted to do with his father, he is currently doing or has done with Barley, his older brother, until finally he gets to the end and he realizes that, of course, he misses his father. Of course, he loves his father and would love to have his father back. Um, but he realizes, oh, I had this old, I had and still have this older brother who did all the things for me that my father would have done. And I haven't really been appreciating it, but he's still here and I can start appreciating it now, which is why he is more okay with Barley having the moment with the father uh, than him because he realized like, Hey, I had barley. I already had, you know, for all intents and purposes, I already had my father, 
but you didn't. You're the older brother. You didn't have anybody above you. Um, and there are some unresolved issues. So Ian is okay with Barley having the moment because Ian has essentially already had his. And I and what a what a fascinating uh, pivot. And it's something that you just don't expect. But by the time you get there, because there's a way to do this wrong. There is a way to make the audience feel cheated, that we've been looking forward to this wonderful reunion, and then we don't get it. Uh, and, in, and it's like, oh, but I'm supposed to take you know, solace in, in Barley getting this moment. If you, if you do Barley wrong... If you do Ian wrong, if you have the the if you are forcing the quest uh, to in its own way fit into Ian's list, uh, if you force that arbitrarily, then it will feel arbitrary. It will feel forced, um, so that uh, the the story is serving the theme, um, which usually makes for a, a subpar story experience. Um, but yeah, it's. I think the film balances all of those things very well. As I said, you're learning these things along with Ian, so that when he gets to this conclusion, because it's also not a thing that pass that he passively accepts. Um, he does make a choice to allow Barley to have this moment, and you. And so that's why I say that you need the character of Ian to grow in such a way that you believe that you not only believe he will make this choice or could make this choice, but do you think it's the right choice? And it, it's a bit of a balancing act. And I think onward does it. I think it does it really well. Um, I'm, I'm astonished when people look at this film and, and th- and say that it's like minor Pixar I think from the character design to the humor to the story itself to the the incredibly mature theme that it's exploring I think it is top tier uh, Pixar at least as far as like modern Pixar um, I mean nothing's gonna touch you know the your Finding Nemo Incredibles, Ratatouille. Yeah, I know Cars was in there as well, but like Ratatouille, and then Wally, and then Up, and then Toy Story Three. I mean, it's they had a run that was great, um, and then it fell off a little bit. And every once in a while, you get like a little surge, like an, an Inside Out or something like that. And some people thought that Soul belonged to belongs to like top tier Pixar, and I, I definitely don't think it does. That feels like my, minor Pixar to me, whereas Onward feels like it's doing something particularly special and if you've seen the film or maybe you haven't seen the film granted i've spoiled it already uh but trust me the the journey is still absolutely worth it um but yeah if you have if you have seen it give it another watch because it really does hold up and probably gets better when you know where you're going to end up it's not a twist it's it's not a narrative twist it's a bit of a thematic twist but um when you know where you're going to end up and you revisit the story, you can kind of take pleasure in the 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 way that the film gets there. So, uh, so this idea of Ian really just fixating, not obsessing, but fixating on his father's absence, you know, uh, only 
and only to realize that he's been blind to what what is there um and it's not again it's the film is more mature than to say oh well he's ungrateful he's ungrateful for his his older brother he's only focusing on the absence this is a film that understands the mournfulness it understands the the sense of loss and it mourns with the main character while also allowing him to grow and see beyond what is not there and so uh, it reminded me in some ways not merely because of the father thing but uh, just some of the some of the character beats it reminded me of guardians of the galaxy volume 2 um, which is written and directed by James Gunn and that is our companion film uh, I don't know if you've seen it um, but here what's interesting is that one of the reasons that these are that, that this is the companion film is that uh, there are a lot of people that really don't like guardians of the guardians of the galaxy volume 2 they they much prefer the first one I think the second one is better just like I think Onward is better than Soul, I think the second Guardians of the Galaxy is better than the first, uh, in my opinion, by a pretty wide margin. Um, partially because I'm a fan of James Gunn as a filmmaker. And so many people, when they heard that he was going to make the first Guardians, they thought like, oh man, he's going to bring that James Gunn kind of weirdness. If you haven't seen his stuff, he made Slither and Super. He wrote uh, the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead. Um <clears throat> And so there, there's kind of a darker, kind of twisted sensibility. And people thought like, oh, he's going to bring that to Guardians of the Galaxy. It's going it's to be so interesting. And certainly within the Marvel Universe, I guess it's a little weirder. But for the most part, I feel like it still fits in with all that other, other stuff. It feels like a, a, a largely neutered uh, James Gunn. But as tends to happen, when... when the first movie does well and the first guardians did very well not just at the box office but with audiences um the because the the first guardians was a bit of a a, a risk anyway like we hadn't really heard of any of these characters and so maybe the marvel brand wasn't enough um but it turns out it was enough and the film was quirky enough that people went to go see it. So when the sequel came along, I think the studio gave James Gunn a bit more of a green light to do what he wanted to do. And this is something that you'll see from time to time. Uh, the, the example I tend to cite the most is, is Tim Burton with the first and second Batman. The first Batman is undeniably a Tim Burton film, but it also has songs from Prince and it still has that expressionistic quality but it still feels like it's trying to be more mainstream. And then it did very well, and the studio let Tim Burton do whatever he wanted for the sequel, and he did what he wanted. And you see Batman Returns, and I adore Batman Returns, but I'm also a big fan of uh, German Expressionism in the 1920s, so uh, I really love that. And just the the grotesque nature of the characters and the constant music and the really the de-emphasis on action and more on tragedy uh, is something that when you see it you're like yeah I can understand why the studio didn't want him for Batman Forever in 1995 uh, they because he essentially directed a black and white movie that happens to be in color um, but yeah and 
but that's the thing is when you watch the second one it's all to me it's always more interesting because the director's been given a bit more of a free hand and with guardians of the galaxy volume two it's not necessarily a a a plot heavy movie and i do think that people prefer that when you see the first one you know everyone's going after this orb um and so and it's an origin and, and i think people like origins but um whereas this one it's much more relationship based and you have the character of star lord uh played by chris pratt who of course does a voice in onward but you have star lord who was a human abducted from earth and raised uh, amongst these uh, these scavenger uh, aliens led by this character Yondu, uh, played by Michael Rooker. And he never knew, and Star-Lord uh, never knew his father. He knew his, who his mother was and she died of cancer, but he never knew who his father was. And then in this film, it is revealed that in fact, his uh, father was an alien. Um, and so Star-Lord is part human, part alien. And the name of his father is Ego, played by Kurt Russell. Um, if you're familiar with Marvel lore, you're, you know who Ego is. Ego is the living planet and is like this ancient uh this ancient being and so here uh ego is given like a physical body he's not merely a living planet he is that uh it is revealed but uh he can choose another form and here he chooses the form of kurt russell and over the and and so he ego reaches out to star lord and says hey come to my planet and i will teach you about who you really are and it seems like this really wonderful thing, but over the course of the film, you, you come to realize like, oh, Ego kind of has his own agenda and it might be a pretty nefarious one. And then there is what would appear to be a subplot featuring Yondu, who again raised Star-Lord, but also certainly in the first film was a bit of an antagonist. And here he's, he's definitely a... Uh, He's very crusty, and we're not always on board with him, but he does become a bit more sympathetic over the course of the film, despite a an extended sequence where he just kills lots and lots and lots of people, but it's a fun sequence, and it's a very uh, James Gunn sequence. But um, but over the course of, of the film, uh, you see Star-Lord get more jaded uh, or more disillusioned with ego his official father um and he comes to realize that yondu is the one that like spent time with him and taught him things and cares about him um there's a line in the film where yondu says he is referring to ego he's talking to star lord and he says he may have been your father boy but he wasn't your daddy um and i and that that way of looking at it um that father is something a little bit more official whereas daddy or dad is something much more uh, intimate and casual and personal. Um, and so it's something that, that Star-Lord over the course of the film comes to embrace and, and he comes to really appreciate who uh, Yondu is. And he says, sometimes the thing you've been looking for your whole life is right there beside you all along. And he he had been obsessing over his father when in, and again understandably so uh but failed to recognize that 
he did have a father figure, albeit a deeply flawed one, uh, but he did have one there. And so, uh, so it got it got me thinking about obviously my own lack of of father, um, but it also got me thinking beyond fathers. In, in both of these films, it, it has to do with with fathers. Incidentally, it's Father's Day when I record this. Uh, that is, I assure you, a coincidence. But um, but yeah, it it did get me thinking about this. Uh, there's a Tom Waits lyric um, from a wonderful song called "Come On Up to the House," which, by the way, sounds completely like a like a gospel hymn um if you listen to it if you look at it as like a metaphor for for heaven and and casting off like uh earthly uh difficulties and and earthly um troubles uh but there's a line where he where he says the only thing that you can see is all that you lack and I think that's a very common idea. And here we're talking about certain parent figures, but it can be anything. Um, it can be the job you never had. It could be the money you never had. It could be the relationship you never had. It could be the child you never had. All of these are good things. And to not have them where so many other people do have them is very isolating. It's very sad. And it's something that should be grieved over and mourned. And it's something that you may wind up mourning your entire life. But to only see that is to sort of let yourself be defined as a person by what you lack, what you don't have. And so I wanted to talk a little bit. I have many, many Bible verses here um, because where I'm headed is that even if you even if there are a number of things in life that you don't have and you're very aware that you don't have uh we do have a god we do believe in a god that is there with us and incidentally mourns with us over those things that we don't have um but is there with us nonetheless uh telling us that he loves us proving that he loves us through his own sacrifice uh and i will say incidentally i'm going to be reading these verses and hopefully they bring you some kind of comfort and they, they invite you to acknowledge what you, what you don't have while embracing what you do have. Uh, but I'll say I was, in, I was in church today and there was a lot of talk about really uh, embracing God's love. And, and one thing that I realized is that uh, I'm not 100% sure what love means. Like the idea of God loving me or other people loving me is something that has always left me a little bit cold. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm sorry, it sounds so cliched. I, I almost said, I want to know what love is. And then I realized, oh, that's a song. Um, and a pretty, <laughs> and not a very good one, frankly. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, like love, I think as a concept is something that I've always had a hard time personalizing. And so, uh, so when someone says God loves you or God loves me, um, I think, yes, I know that. And that is a good thing. I recognize that as a good thing, but it really doesn't have much impact on me. And I think, uh, that's something I need to, I was talking with Jen about it today. That's something I need to work on. Um, so all that is to say that as I'm reading these verses that assure you that God is with you, uh, even in the midst of loss and in the midst of want, 
Um, if you don't necessarily feel encouraged by that, I totally understand. Um, but we are assured of this nonetheless. And I will also mention that in talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, it's very possible um, to view the film as a little bit, for lack of a better term, anti-God. Um, ego in the way that he looks and the way that he talks and maybe even in his goal um, could be seen as a God type figure who's, you know, a, a megalomaniac who doesn't really care about individuals and someone that our main character has obsessed over and in, and in doing so has overlooked his very uh, flawed uh, father figure in Yondu. The, I think the film could be seen that way. Um, I don't know where James Gunn, uh, I don't know where he falls uh, spiritually, but I think the film could be taken that way. And so it's not necessarily how I take it, um, especially when you act, when you look at the specifics of, of who Ego is, including his name. Uh, I think it's, it's about this perverted, it's not primarily about this, but like it's a perverted view of God. It's what we, th what we too often think God is when in fact he is a very different thing. This is a God who, uh, ego is a God type character, um, who is willing to sacrifice everybody else to accommodate him. Whereas the God we're talking about, it's exactly the opposite. He's willing to sacrifice himself for all of us. But anyway, we can move on. So this idea of God being with us in the good times and the bad, and just constantly reassuring us of this, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read a bunch of, a bunch of verses in, in pretty rapid succession. And we'll just look at this through line and then we'll talk about it at the end and then we'll be done. So Deuteronomy 1 verses 29 through 31 says, Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. So that's about God carrying you. And here there is a father aspect. Um, Isaiah 46 verses three and four. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant uh, of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried you since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs. I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. So talking about sustaining, talking about carrying once again. Uh, Galatians 3 verses 23 through 29. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian, uh, guardian, pardon me, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I didn't even mean to, I didn't pick this because Guardians of the Galaxy is a companion film. Once again, purely coincidence. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Matthew 23, 8 and 9. 
But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And you do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Romans 8.14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. John 14, verses 15 through 21, so there's a slightly longer passage. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you, and sorry, and will be in you. Uh, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On the day you will, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my command and keeps them, sorry, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. A couple more, both from Psalms. Uh, Psalm 68 verses 4 through 6. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And lastly, Psalm 27 verse 10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So, you know, I here I'm focusing a lot on the idea of parenthood and fa- and being a father. But if you look at these, there is also a through line of God being with us, God being in us, God carrying us, God sustaining us, and also God recognizing where we are. To go back to what I was saying, God is not sitting there saying, hey, jerk, Stop looking at what you don't have. Stop looking at your ailment. Stop looking at your loss. He is saying, I'm here with you in that loss, and I am sorry that this has happened to you, but don't worry. I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here sustaining you, loving you, carrying you. And if you're like me, you don't totally know what carrying means. It goes back to, we've talked about this before on the show, the idea of God comforting you in times of, of loss. And we just think like, well, and we pray like, uh, we pray that God would, would comfort this person. She's like, well, comfort, what does that even mean? And it means those, those small moments of relief where you're able to laugh, you're able to smile, even in the midst of a very rough and difficult time and it's not as though those moment the 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 difficulty goes away but you're able in that moment to find some level of joy or humor and that is what comfort looks like and that is what god carrying you looks like is moving continuing to move on even in the midst of of a, of a difficult time i remember i mean it's it's so crazy to think about this but like I I love being a father. I love my children so much. They are adorable, and I love spending time with them. I love listening to them. I love looking at them. I love holding them. But there was a time early on where to think about them, they're probably, I think, a month old, maybe two months old, and this lasted for about a month. To, th- to even think about them caused me anxiety. And I thought, like, I don't want to do this this 
is exhausting. I've lost my freedom. I'm not getting any sleep. Um, I'm losing weight, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and and in that moment, like I, I had to just pray to God and be like, I can't do this, so you're just going to have to do this through me. And I would essentially, not not even just at the beginning of every day, but throughout the day, like if they were crying or whatever it is, I would absolutely not f- not feel like doing what was necessary, but I would say out loud to myself, just keep going. And that is not a thing that I say to myself very often. I'm a big fan of quitting. Um, and so, but that, that was kind of enough because what was implied there was keep going. This feeling you have is not forever. I assure you. And that, that was correct. There came a moment, uh, in I like January or February where I felt a shift and suddenly I couldn't spend enough time with them. I would go on, I would run errands and start to miss my kids. I went to the international Christian film festival this year. I was really looking forward to it and I enjoyed myself while I was there. But, and I thought like, okay, four days and like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have the kids with me, but maybe that'll be nice to just be able to kind of do my own thing. And it was nice, but boy, I missed them a lot. Um, but there was a time when I was I was mourning my loss of freedom, mourning uh, my what my life used to be, and there was this, and I gave it over to God, and lo and behold, there was a voice that said, "Just keep going," and that was kind of enough to comfort me and keep me going. And so, when the Bible talks about God carrying us and God sustaining us, like that may sound like a small comfort and maybe it is a small comfort but it might it might be just a well not only might be it will be at the very least enough to keep us going um and that is always there so many other things including relationships including people they come and go and when they go it's a very sad thing and god mourns with us but the re- one of the reasons he mourns with us is because he's right there with us the whole time. And so, by all means, acknowledge what you did have and now you don't. Acknowledge what you never had and other people do. Um, and, and recognize like the impact that that is having on you and maybe the scars that that has left on you. But... And I'm not going to say move on from that, but I will say at the same time, look around, not merely at the, you know, at the things that you, that you do have, but also keep in mind that there is a God who is going to stick by you and considers you his son or his daughter and is going to carry you and sustain you. And so, and hopefully you can take some kind of comfort in that, um, so that eventually when you, you know, when you get to the end of your life or whatever it is, there's a line at the end, uh, of onward where Ian talking to his brother, he says, I never had a dad, but I always had you. And 
you know, he's talking, he's saying that to another living person, but hopefully when we get to the end of our life and frankly, ideally before that, we can look and say, Hey, and in my case, Hey, I never had a dad, or at least I didn't for a long time, but I always had you. And maybe you can say, I didn't have children, but I always had God. I didn't have the job I wanted, but I always had God. I didn't have the money I wanted, but I always had God. I didn't have the body I wanted or the abilities that I wanted, but I always had God. And for some people, the first part of that is enough to negate the second part, um, which is something that we'll actually talk about in an upcoming mini-sode. But, uh, and, and if you are in that place, then uh, I definitely sympathize with you and uh, feel free to reach out Tyler more than one lesson.com because that is a tough place to be in but uh, in the meantime go watch onward go watch Guardians of the Galaxy volume 2 there will be a minisode coming up I know that because I recorded it before this just to make sure that that it was going to happen and uh, and I don't know when I'll be doing another official episode hopefully soon but I know I've said that before In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you for continuing to be supportive of me and More Than One Lesson. I really do appreciate it, and we'll get you next time.